You know, when we think of the Lord and his death, uh, again, you know, you can talk to most people and they'll tell you that um, whenever you watch a movie uh, again and again and again, um, you always kind of pick up something more each time you watch it. Or, you know, whenever you read the Bible, really, uh, over and over again, it's almost like every single time the Lord shows you something more. And so I know uh, for the most part, most of you guys here, you know, you've studied the cross and you know about his death. And there's a lot of things that you can share already that you know already. But um, as you continue just to see this, this paradox, man, this evil, and yet at the same time, this love. As you look at the blood, as you look at the, the crown of thorns and the nails that were piercing his hands and feet and just everything about it um, over and over again, my, uh, my thoughts are it, it shows you the deep love of God. And what that is intended to do is to deepen your understanding of his love for you. And then hopefully it'll deepen your love for him. You know, because I know God is working on us. I thank God for the cross. I thank God for this day that we celebrate him. And I just know, you know, for sure that God is working on our life. I mean, uh, the Lord has paid the price. I remember one time I went to Starbucks and I placed my order and, you know, uh, four shots of espresso, four sh- uh, pumps of vanilla, you know, heavy cream uh, heated up in a grande cup, and my wife got her venti water because she just puts her green tea inside of it. And we got our coffee crumb cake, and then we went up to the window. And I remember, I'll never forget, you know, the lady said, It's paid. I said, Are you serious? It's paid? And like, I was like, Wow, thank you, Lord, because, you know, I, I could kind of use this nowadays. And then what ended up happening is someone said, Well, the only reason they paid for you is because they don't know you. That's what someone said. And I'm like, I can't believe you would tell me that. Well, then I told them a story about how one time I went to Chick-fil-A. And I went and I placed my order, you know, spicy chicken sandwich. And I usually share. We got a salad. We got our combo. And then I was about to pay and someone had paid for me. And so I thought about it. Well, this person knows me and is paid for. And in, I know it's, it's a small thing when you think of food or a little meal here. But one day, when we stand before God, it's just amazing to me to think that it's paid for. It's paid, you guys. To tell us, die. Debt paid in full. And even though we're trying to earn God's love because it's something within us that's so religious that it's hard to break that pattern of our, our fallen nature. You know, I know something that's really interesting. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul basically said, I died to self. But you know, a lot of times when we think of that, we're thinking, well, he died to the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, he died to religion. He died to the law. We have to finally come to that place where we realize it is finished. Because it's then that we're set free. You know, I was wondering if you could turn to Philippians 2, and I I just want to share a couple of words, and we're going to have communion tonight. But I wanted to come here for a reason. I wasn't sure where the Lord would have me this evening, uh, here and then probably in Isaiah. 
But here in Philippians chapter 2, notice what we read in verse 5. Paul writing to this church that he loved. He loved this church. But they were having some struggles. They were having some issues. They were having some conflict. And so it says here in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. You know, Paul knew that there were some struggles uh, in relationships within the church. Just like you and I, we might have struggles with people. It's just life that we live in. And Paul is saying, well, this is what you need to do. You need to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. And he goes on and he explains what this whole amazing miracle of Christ is. That he's in, in the form of God, the Greek word morphe, the nature of God. He, he's in the form of God. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, but he, basically what he's saying, it wasn't something that he had to grasp for. I mean, it was just there. It was his. It was who he was. And so he says, let this mind be in us, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he, he didn't consider it something to be grasped for, to be equal with God, because he was equal with God. But even though he was God, he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. He never lost his deity, but he just humbled himself, it says, and coming in the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being in a found in appearance as a man, it says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, I don't want to make light, and we're going to focus primarily on what Jesus has done for us, how he, God, died for us. But I just felt like before I came up here, I just sensed by the Holy Spirit. He said, I also want you to mention this to the people, to yourself, Manny, that you need to die to yourself. You need to be broken. You know, when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed that the cup would go away. He didn't want that. You know, and he prayed three times, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. You know, it was that part of him, that human part of him, not fallen, but still human, that, that I always tell you guys, I always say it like this, that the suffering was the start of it, that the sin was a part of it, but the separation from the Father was the heart of it. And so as far as he was concerned, he did not want that. But he said, not my will, thy will be done, because there's no other way wherein we could be saved. So he had to go to the cross. But it was there at the Garden of Gethsemane where he really wrought the victory. And it was there that he died to himself. And he went on to give us that victory. I want to encourage you, myself included, you guys, let's be people of the cross. Let's be broken of our will, the way that Jesus was. Let us die to self. 
and let us live for him. Because here in the book of Philippians, it would affect relationships. And maybe in your marriage, maybe with your children, maybe with your parents, maybe with your friends, maybe there's somebody in church where God is just saying to us, enough, let the pride die. Humble yourself the way that Jesus humbled himself and became our example. And when we look at the cross of Christ and we realize you know, what he did, of course we know, however, that it's not just an example. It was a vicarious sacrifice. It was a substitution for us. And this is the day. I was talking to my wife on the way over here. You know, she's really good at remembering dates and stuff. And she remembers, you know, the day that her dad died. And she remembers the day that her mom, you know, passed away. And she even remembers the day that my dad died. This is the day we remember it, you know, that that Jesus died for us. And so we're here because of that, huh? We're here because of the fact that close to 2,000 years ago, our Savior suffered for our sins. It was our wrongs that led to the greatest wrong in the history of the world. And yet at the same time, the greatest expression of love the world will ever see when he, Jesus, paid the price, the punishment, and died the death that we deserved. This is how he saved us. And this is why we're here. We're not here out of rut. We're not here out of routine. We're not here out of religion. In one sense, we're here out of loving respect that Jesus Christ died for me on that first Good Friday. He died for us, but he wasn't just put to death. He was slaughtered. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He was executed in horrific fashion and then publicly lifted up for all to see his misery. He'd been arrested without a warrant, tied and tried without reason, beaten beyond measure, mocked and spit on as an epitome of humility, condemned, sentenced and judged without justice, Scourged with 39 stripes that ripped away his flesh with a cat of nine tails. He, the Bible says, was marred more than any man. He was crowned with thorns, draped in scarlet and purple, and they mocked him in his majesty. He then carried his 70-pound wooden instrument of death over the Via Dolorosa until he was placed on that Roman cross, pierced and punctured with nine-inch nails, in his hands and feet. And there, heaven hung for six hours on that first Good Friday. This is why we're here. This is why I'm here. Not out of rut, not out of routine, not out of religion, but out of respect for my God, devotion, adoration, to the one who died for me. And we're here to contemplate Christ and what took place on Calvary. And, and really, as we consider the cross, it's a long look at God's love. And do you guys ever wonder, you know, whether or not God loves you? 
I remember when I was young, I would see those girls with clovers and they would pick, pick away at those leaves. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And this is how they would make their decisions and determinations and whether or not whoever it was loved them. And sometimes I think the unstable sway of society is as clever as that clover. He loves me, he loves me not. Sometimes we look at things, if they're going good, he loves me. If they're going bad, he loves me not. How foolish. How base when our God died for us. Of course he loves you. Of course our creator loves us. He made us. He maintains us. He brought us together tonight because he wants every one of us to be in right relationship with him and with others. Because don't try to tell me tonight that you're in right relationship with God if you are not in right relationship with your loved ones. This is very important for us. I don't know necessarily who you are, uh, but I know where you are. You're here tonight because God brought us here and God wants to do something different, deeper, good on Good Friday. Who do you have to make it right with? Who do you have to forgive? How can you be like God who demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, he died for us? How can you prove your salvation? Because this is what Christ did and this is what Christians do. It's not a yearly tradition, guys. It's a yearning condition. You know, we all learn to be loved and we all need to learn how to love. You need to know in a deeper way how much God loves you and you need to love him more deeply than you have. We must always be growing in this relationship with God. It's all about love. He loves you. Do you love him? And I remember the first time I told my girlfriend, who would one day be my wife, that I loved her. I think it was in 1986. I was two years old at the time. <laughs> no, I think 34 years ago, something like that. You know, and I remember, I still remember, like, it was yesterday, man. I got out of the red Mustang. For some reason, she was driving that night. It was a 1967 coupe. It was a really cool car. And I remember looking at her. I don't know if the, the window was down a little bit. And I remember just telling her, good night. You know, I love you. I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, good night. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, wait a minute, okay, all right. And I you know, went to my, my room, and in that time I had my own phone in, in the room, and, and I'll never forget when she finally, it seemed like eternity, but she finally called me back, and she said, I love you too. <laughs> I think she had to think about it. And I say that in all sincerity. I think, you know, she'd been through things. And, you know, who is this guy? Do I really love him? I'm not, not going to say that lightly. And I think that for some of you here, um, I don't know, man. I wonder if you know how much God loves you, number one. 
And then number two, I wonder if you really love God. I wonder. In the church today, the world today, like Pastor Henning was saying, most people don't even know what Good Friday is all about. And most people will go and they'll do their thing. And it's like, wait a minute, time out. This is huge. Can you see his love? Can you see his love for you? Have you seen John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his Son to make you his child, to make us his church, to be his bride, to be his beloved. God gave his Son to make you and me forgiven and free forever, his family. Now, the fact that he loves us is evident because he died for us, but the fact that he loves us in such a deep way is evident in the way he died for us. I mean, the pain, the torture, the suffering, the sins, all because of it was a demonstration of his love for us. You know, we wonder, well, why can't God just let everyone get into heaven? You know, there's a passage over in Romans I was wondering if you could turn to. Because some people say, well, if God loves us in such a way, then why doesn't he just let everybody go into heaven? And the answer is because, number one, he loves us. He's a loving God. But number two, it's because he's a holy God. He's a just God. And in Romans chapter 3, notice what you read in verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, here it is, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The the, the righteousness Paul writes in the book of Romans is not found uh, through religion. It's not found through law. It's not found through our moral and upright behavior. You could probably be the best person in this room and maybe, you know, you're, you're super nice and you're super generous and you're super benevolent and you never cuss and you've never gotten high, you've never gotten drunk, you waited until you got married before you had any type of sexual intimacy with anyone and you can name it, you can go down the list, but if you have not placed your faith in Christ, then you are standing on your own righteousness and the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here we are as Christians and we know the way that it works, that Jesus, when he died on that cross, and this is why he had to die, because he's a just God, because he's a holy, holy, holy God, that what happened was when Jesus died, all our sins were placed on him. 
Everything we've ever done, past, present, future, he was the one who we're going to see in the book of Isaiah. He bore our sins. And then he paid the punishment. He died the death that we deserved. It'd be like if you went into court and the judge said, you're guilty, you owe a million dollars. Anyone here have a million dollars? Because I would like to be your friend if you do. I'm just <laughs> Some of you probably do, but I'm just saying. So most of us don't. And so we're like, hey, I don't got the money. And so what does the judge do? He says, you're guilty, but then he gets up and he pays it for you. What we find in that illustration is that God satisfies his justice. And at the same time, he displays his love. And this is what the cross of Christ is all about. He is both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you believe in Jesus? And I'm not talking about your brain. I'm talking about your heart. Do you believe in Jesus in your heart? Do you live for him? I'll tell you what, what Henry was sharing today about you inviting people to church service, that's probably an evidence of whether or not you're a Christian or not. Because when you really get saved, you get a burden for the lost. When you really get saved, you want to read your Bible. You want to go to church service. You want to please God. Because some people, they have this belief, but you wonder, are they really Christians because they've never really changed? And they don't have a hunger for God. If that's you tonight, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to invite you. I'm here to tell you that you need to give your life to Christ, that you really need to place your faith in him. Who put Jesus on the cross? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it Pontius Pilate? It was me. It was my sins that put him there. One guy, John Stott, he said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. That's why Mel Gibson, when you see the, the Passion of the Christ, and I, and I know it's a hard movie to watch, but man, if you haven't seen it, I, I encourage you, uh, watch the movie. It was not a perfect movie. There are things about it that probably have too much Catholic overtones, but man, it definitely gives you a little glimpse of the suffering our Savior went through. Or maybe another movie that you might want to watch is the Gospel of John. I love that one because it's just pure scripture, but there's just something about seeing it. And when you do, it's interesting how Mal Gibson, when the time came for them to take that hammer and to, and to drive the nails into the wrists of Jesus, it was so cool because they say that he used his own hand to do that part. Because we nailed him to the cross. We put Jesus on that cross because of our sin. But the moment that you place your faith in him, we are free and we are forgiven. I like what some people say that it says right here that he might be the just and the justifier. And justification, what that is, is one day when you stand before God, you won't have to worry because it's a legal declaration of righteousness in the sight of God's holy, holy eyes. And so, you know, it's legal. It's in heaven's court. You're justified. And one person likes to say, just as if I've, I've never sinned. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so you guys think about it tonight. I'll bet you almost anything some of you guys had a bad day. 
You don't want to raise your hand, but I tell you what, you tell the truth and you make the devil flee. And, and we have bad days. And I was kind of bummed today. I'm like, Lord, it's Good Friday. And why did you know, Priscilla have to break her arm? Or why did Esther have to go and you know, this happened to her? And you have these things that are going on. And even me and the things that we go through personally. And, and, and the Lord, just, he reminded me, he said, yeah, you don't live in a perfect world, but when I look at you, Manny, I see perfection. Because we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. You know, one last verse I want you guys to turn to before we have communion is over in Isaiah 53. And you guys know this was written 700 years before Christ. This was written, you know, before crucifixion was invented by the Phoenicians to, mastered by the Romans to create maximum pain over maximum period of time. When you read the, the Old Testament, and you find it's just filled with the fact that one day there would be a substitutionary atonement. And here we read in Isaiah 53, it says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Now, I just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. I mean, the word surely is a pretty cool word. You don't have to wonder. You're not scratching your head. Is there really, are, are you sure about that? Absolutely, 100%. He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And the interesting thing about that verse right there is it's talking beyond our sins. It includes our sins, but it includes the griefs and sorrows that, are, that come as a result of the fallen state. Many of you here have these griefs, you have these sorrows, you find yourself down and depressed at times. Jesus has borne these things. What he's done for us is so amazing. But look at how we saw him. It says there that yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. When Jesus died, they thought, oh, that guy is getting what he deserves. They didn't know what he was doing, but he was wounded, it says, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our what? Our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. What we find is that as the Lord suffered for us, he suffered for our transgressions, our iniquities, and when we place our faith in Jesus, we have not only the peace with God, we have the, the opportunity to have this peace of God. Are you living in that? If I could just ask you that question. Are you living in that place of peace? And I think sometimes we don't because we don't realize what Jesus has done for us. You know, life is crazy. You can't control the way that people treat you. You can't control your circumstances. You can't control, you know, your, your, you know, your, your, your health sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of things that are beyond us. But when you realize that this sovereign God loves you so much and he's in control, no matter what you're going through, there should be a peace. It's all part of his plan. This is what the cross teaches us. You know, it says here, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it's interesting the way Isaiah writes. You know, he kind of just writes this knowing human nature. You know, we have that tendency. Our alignment is messed up, you know. This right here is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And as we find ourselves, sometimes we go to the right and the left or whatever. God just says, hey, I've taken care of that. And all the things that you've done wrong, Manny, and all the things that you will ever do wrong, don't take it lightly. Please try to be holy. Please try to let the cross be a radical thing in your life. Please, Manny, shoot for perfection. But when you fail, and you will, I want you to know the blood. I want you to know the power of it. And we have to live in that because it's not until we're there that we finally find peace. You know, what we find, you guys, as we celebrate Good Friday is we find that we are forgiven, that the church, because they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, is free. And now we are free to go forward with this legal declaration of righteousness because Jesus has paid the price. It's better than Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, let me tell you, man. He's paid the price for our sins. Do you guys remember when he was on the cross, he hung there six hours that Friday and all the amazing things that he, that he said? I do encourage you to go through and to read the Gospels and see all the things that he said. But towards the end, do you remember what he said? He said, I thirst. I'm thirsty. And, and I don't think it was just because he was thirsty, but it was because they, he needed something to kind of wet his you know, whistle, man, to, to kind of, his, 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 his tongue was all dried up, his lips were all dried up, and he needed to say something. And so they gave him something to wet his mouth, and it was at that point, do you remember what he said in the book of John, 1928, and then in 1930, this is, you guys remember what he said? It says, and then he cried with a loud voice. What did he say? It is finished. To Tetelestai, I was wondering, is Tetelestai here today? She is here. I was going to call her up, man, because Jerry and Marie, they named their daughter to Telestai because you're finished uh, having all the kids that you've had. They have. <laughs> is it seven? Seven children. And so it's kind of funny. And I thought, watch, the Lord's going to give them another one. But she just... <laughs> but you know, um, in, the, in the Greek language, I was looking up that word, uh, to Telestai was also written on business documents or receipts in New Testament times, indicating that a bill had been paid in full. And one day, as we're you know we get raptured, the Lord calls us home. It's just a really cool thing to know that we are forgiven. And I pray, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, you guys know what it says? It says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And I pray that you would know that, that here's my sins washed away by the ocean of his grace. But Paul goes on to say, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. That's the balance, I think, of a good Friday heart. Lord, thank you for loving me. I will never even begin to scale the surface 
of this love that you have for me, the wretched man that I am. Listen, I don't sin. You know, it's not just an an illness. It's an evil. It's not just a weakness. It's a wickedness. I know who I am. But I know who he is. I know his love. And as that reaches our hearts, then I pray a response would be appropriate that we would love him in return.